My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas and Mary of Magdala. Today is the feast of Our Lady of Sorrows. It comes immediately after yesterday's feast of the exaltation of the cross. Very logical that we find Our Lady beside the cross. Before it used to be known as the feast of the seven sorrows of Our Lady. Our Lady had a number of sorrows in her life that God permitted. The prophecy of Simeon, the flight into Egypt, the loss of the child for three days. Our Lady meeting our Lord on his way to Calvary. The crucifixion and death of Jesus. The body of Jesus being taken down from the cross and the burial of our Lord. These are traditionally referred to as the seven sorrows of Our Lady. It's a feast that was started back in the 12th century, promoted by the Cistercians and the Servites. In 1814, Pius VII extended the devotion, this devotion to the whole church. And in 1912, St. Pius X decreed that it should be celebrated on the September 15. During the Mass today, we have a special poem before the Gospel called A Sequence. It's only one of four days in the, in the year where we, where we have that sequence, the Stabat Mater Dolorosa, the sorrowful mother beside the cross. St. Bernard said, Mary's son died in body through a love greater than anyone had known. She died in spirit, through a love unlike any other since. And so she shared in all the sufferings of her son. From the day that Simeon predicted that a sword would pierce her heart. Until the day when she saw him on the cross and she stood beneath the cross and saw him die. And so by her selfless sharing in the sufferings of the Redeemer, she merited to become truly our mother and mother of the church. The early revelations to Our Lady in her life, to a large extent, were revelations of joy. Do not be afraid, Mary, because you have found grace in God the tidings of great joy from the angels at the birth of Christ. When she went to visit Elizabeth, the babe in my womb leapt for joy. It's only with Simeon that the cross begins to be mentioned. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, look, he is destined for the fall and for the rise of many in Israel, destined to be a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce your soul too, 
so that the secret thoughts of many may be laid bare. Simeon also talks about the sign of contradiction. These must have been puzzling words for Our Lady, our first encounter with the message of the mission of her son that it would involve the cross and so very meaningful for each one of us. I was coming back from a retreat one time in a place called Macau and passing through Hong Kong airport I was changing the last piece of Hong Kong currency into Singapore currency where I was going and at the exchange counter suddenly there was a guy at my left elbow and I felt that he was looking over my shoulder <clears throat> to see how much money I had so that he would know how much to ask for. And so I felt a bit vulnerable, a bit got at. I felt this wasn't fair. This guy seems to be a real professional. And when I turned around from the counter, the thoughts that were going through my mind were not very priestly. And this guy standing there and the first thing he says to me is, are you a man of God? Oh, that was painful. Emotional blackmail. And then he said, do you mind if I ask you a question? And I said, no. And I was thinking, is it five? Is it 10? Is it the whole 20? I could see myself walking home that night. And then he said, why is love so painful? And I was rather perplexed. Why is love so painful? That's a very unusual question to try and answer at Hong Kong airport when you're rushing for a plane. They had lived together in Taipei for two years. He had smothered her with love. And he said, now she's run off back to China. I came to look for her and I couldn't find her. And he said, I can't sleep at night. Why is love so painful? I asked him if he ever knew of Jesus Christ. He had a Muslim background, but he might have had an Italian mother in Se grandmother in Seattle. It was all very unusual. We talked for a few minutes. I realized here is a real live 27 year old guy with a broken heart. In all the movies and novels, it's always the women who have broken hearts, but here was a guy with a broken heart. We swapped emails and eventually we went our separate ways. But I think I learned more from the interchange than he did. And now every time I pass through an airport and you see people rushing here and there, often going very fast but not knowing where they're going. I often think that if you scratch a little bit with all these people, you'll find a lot of broken hearts. The world is full of broken hearts. But Our Lady has given us the remedy for a broken heart. Two Panadol four times a day won't mend a broken heart. Only Our Lady can do that. And her son. Because she allowed her own heart to be pierced by a sword. She knows what it is to have a broken heart. Fulton Sheen says, if ever God in our life allows our heart to be broken, it's because he wants to enter into it a little more. And only 
he and his mother can mend a broken heart, but you have to give them all the pieces. It may be that at some stage in our life, we might suffer from a broken heart. Our God might bring some soul in contact with us who has a broken heart. Let me know the remedies to encourage them to go closer to the heart of Mary and to the heart of Christ. Many things get solved there. And so today's feast day is one of great significance. The suffering of Our Lady is very much united to the suffering of her son. And so in the sequence of the Mass, we read, O sweet mother, font of love, touch my spirit from above. Make my heart with yours accord. Make me feel as you have felt. Make my soul to glow and melt with the love of Christ my Lord. Our Lord wanted his mother there beside the cross. Part of his suffering in some ways was to have her present, letting her see everything that he was going through. She becomes a participant in his supreme sacrifice. And so we celebrate today the co-redemption or the co-redemptive suffering of Our Lady. The church invites us to offer our many little difficulties, little mortifications for the salvation of souls like Our Lady beside the cross. Through union with the work of redemption of her son, Mary underwent the torments of any good mother who sees her son in the throes of death. And in addition, her pain had the salvific quality of Christ's own passion. She who is full of grace and the most pure handmaid of the Lord offers up all her actions in intimate union with her son. And so their value is virtually without limit. We will never entirely comprehend Our Lady's immense love for Jesus, which is the cause of her great suffering. And so the Book of Lamentations says, All you who pass by the way, look and see, was there ever a sorrow to compare with my sorrow? It can be Consoling to know that any little suffering that God might permit in our life, when Our Lady and Her Son have already been there, they know all our trials and challenges and contradictions and heartbreaks. And the anguish of Our Lady is greater on account of her great holiness. One spiritual writer says, when the soldiers strike the body of Christ, it is as if Mary is subjected to every blow. When they pierce his head with thorns, Our Lady feels their sharp penetration. When the same men offer him gall and vinegar, the Blessed Mother tastes all the bitterness. As they spread his body on the cross, Mary is torn from within. 
And so her love allows her to endure all his sufferings as if they were her own. St. Alphonsus says, the more a person loves, the more he or she identifies with the pain of the beloved. A brother's death is more upsetting than a pet's. A son's dying is more trying than a friend's. To get a grasp of Mary's grief for the crucifixion, we need somehow to appreciate the great extent of her love for her son. An account of our Lord's profound sensitivity to the malice of sin. Well, she also participated in that sensitivity, seen as an offence against God, a wicked affront to his infinite holiness, the cause of his passion. That's why one of the messages that we have to transmit in the world is that the greatest evil is sin. The world may present all sorts of things to us as evils, unemployment, lack of material things, ill health, obesity, all sorts of other problems. But none of these things can keep us out, to, out of heaven. They may be the means to get to heaven. The only thing that can keep us out of heaven is sin. And so a spiritual writer says it's much more serious than a mere transgression. The Virgin realized this more than any other creature. On account of her own awareness of the enormous evil of sin, Mary was plunged in bitter grief on beholding its horrible consequences for her son. And so every one of us contributes in some way towards increasing the sufferings of Christ. For this reason, we should rejoice to be able to meditate slowly on sin's impact on the loving hearts of Jesus and Mary. We will then accept our share in their suffering and make reparation gladly. Reparation or atonement is a spirit whereby we say sorry for the sins we have committed and we feel sorry for the sins of the whole world, all the ways in which God is offended through lies, through drunkenness, through drugs, through contraception, through abortion, through euthanasia, through stealing and dishonesty. Part of our role as followers of Christ is to be on the cross with his mother and atone to God for all these things. And sometimes to say sorry with our deeds, with our bodies. Sometimes our bodies can say what our, our lips cannot say. Our lady beside the cross has been described as the lady of fair weeping. In other moments, she's described as the Lady of Fair Love. And beside the cross, the Lady of Fair Weeping, her tears are beautiful. These are the sorrows of one who is all beautiful, fully free from the deformity of sin. Tota pulchra, all beauty, even beside the cross. The sinless spirit 
feel the heart of Mary and is beautifully centered on the will of the Father. Our Lady, says one writer, feels with Jesus and for us. She gives, she offers, she doesn't merely let go. She doesn't assist passively or patiently at the sacrifice of her son. It's very active, very dynamic. It's also very silent. And so one thing we learn from Our Lady is to be silent beside the cross. Our silence is often an indication of our Holocaust. Our peace, our serenity, our acceptance of the will of God. The Lord wanted to show us through Our Lady and also through Saint Joseph, the creatures he loved most, the close relationship, happiness and redemptive efficacy have with the cross. Even though Our Lady's entire life leaves up to Calvary at her son's side, there's a special moment when her participation in the sufferings of Jesus is revealed with particular clarity. It's in that interchange with Simeon. Your own heart, a soul, a sword will pierce. And so in the immolation of her son, Mary glimpses the grandeur of the final redemptive act. God also wants to reveal to her the depth of his sacrifice that is to come and her own particular role in it. And so moved by the Holy Spirit, the just man Simeon tells her, behold, this child is destined for the fall and for the rise of many in Israel and for a sign that should be contradicted. And your own soul, a sword shall pierce that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And so these prophetic words clearly announce that her life will be intimately associated with the redemptive work of her son. Pope St. John Paul, in his encyclical on Our Lady, the mother of the Redeemer, comments on Simeon's words. He said, Simeon's words seem like a second annunciation to Mary, for they tell her of the historical circumstances in which the son is to accomplish his mission, namely in misunderstanding and sorrow. They also reveal that she will have to live her obedience of faith in suffering at her saviour's side and that her motherhood will be mysterious and sorrowful. It's interesting that scripture uses the word contradiction Maybe often in our day, there may be little contradictions, misunderstandings, miscommunications. When the devil can't attack frontally, often he attacks obliquely through those types of contradictions. Our Lord didn't spare his own mother all sorts of pain and suffering. After Bethlehem, they may have settled into a a modest home in, in, in Bethlehem somewhere, but 
And then they have this precipitous flight into Egypt. They have to gather up all their belongings and make this hasty journey. God doesn't spare her exile in a strange land where she would have to begin family life anew. And then back in Nazareth, established once again in their home, she's suddenly disconcerted over the disappearance of the 12-year-old Jesus who's been missing in Jerusalem for several days. Now remember, as a kid, seeing a mother who'd lost her child for just a few hours on a beach one day, she was almost hysterical. But we find Our Lady serene, although troubled. And so we see that our Lord permits her to undergo all sorts of unsettling trials. During his public ministry, Our Lady must have heard all the false rumours and calumnies regarding her son. She must have been aware of the various plots of the Jews against our Lord. And closer to the consummation of his redemptive mission, reports arrive one by one concerning the events taking place during the night of the Passion. She hears the shouts calling for his death the next morning and experiences his abandonment by the disciples in union with him. They all go away and leave him alone. But Our Lady meets her son on the slope leading up to Calvary. Their eyes meet. What a meeting must that have been, we're told. Who can comprehend the agony engulfing Our Lady's heart at this juncture? She stands there and sees how they nail him to the cross. Horrible insults. And the prolonged torment of the crucifixion follows. We're told again in the sequence of today's Mass, Oh, how sad and sore distressed was that mother highly blessed of the sole begotten one. Christ above in torment hangs she beneath beholds the pangs of her dying glorious son. And so when we consider the active role our own sins play in the sorrow of our mother, we can ask her today to help us share in her suffering through a more profound contrition for our personal sins and the sins of all mankind. And we can try to use our weekly sacramental confession to grow in that spirit of contrition and atonement, to savour that sacrament, to thank God for it, to make use of those brief moments to grow in this virtue. It's good to well consider for a few moments the passion of Christ and of Our Lady before we go to confession. And this can help us to be more generous in making reparation for our own offences and to accept the little crosses more serenely and more cheerfully every day, maybe thanking God for them 
Our Lady is the comforter of the afflicted. Because she knew what it meant to be afflicted. We can find consolation in her wounded heart. And so today's feast is an occasion to accept all the adversity that we encounter as a personal purification, to co-redeem with Christ. Our mother teaches us not to complain in the midst of any trials that may come, as we know that she never would. She encourages us to unite our sufferings to the sacrifice of her son, and so offer them as spiritual gifts for the benefit of our family, for the church, for the whole of humanity. The sufferings that we have at hand are there for us to sanctify all sorts of little daily reverses, extended periods of waiting, sudden changes of plans, projects that don't turn out as we expected, the common cold or simple sicknesses, little setbacks that come in all sorts of ways. Maybe at a certain moment we even lack necessities, such as a job to support our family. These are moments for us to turn to her and find our consolation in her. She's there when our Lord is stripped of his garments, tenth station of a cross, profound humiliation. She must have known that garment well. Possibly she sewed it with her own hands, woven without seeing from, from the top. And so she leads us to embrace all these moments when maybe sickness knocks at our door. In such an event, we can ask for the grace to welcome the illness as a divine caress. And we can give thanks for the gift of health that we may have enjoyed for decades and years and weeks and months. A great gift that possibly we never stop to thank God for. And so, in whatever way sickness may come, it can be the touchstone of our love for God, an occasion for renewing our confidence in Him, and for growing in the theological virtues of faith, of hope and charity. And so we, we can make a, an act of acceptance of the will of God. Lord, I accept all these circumstances. Whatever you want, whenever, and however you want. We can end our prayer, turning to Our Lady once again, Our Lady of Sorrows, asking her that we might have the priestly soul that she had. She had a priestly soul because she participated in the priestly virtues of obedience, generosity, sacrifice, service. Second Vatican Council talks about this baptismal priesthood, common priesthood of the faithful, exemplified by Our Lady beside the cross. St. Albert says she joined herself to the Father of Mercies 
in his gracious work of mercy, when she shared in the passion of her son, and thus became the helper of our redemption and the mother of our spiritual generation. And so, Mother, may you make my soul burn in loving Christ our Lord. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you have communicated to me during this meditation. I ask your help to put them into practice. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. <laughs>